one of my dogs is snoring so loud behind me on the bed. I Wait, keep... Maria, now you're muted. Oh, sorry. I was just saying one of my dogs keeps snoring so loud behind me on the bed that I have to keep, like, shaking her before it's my turn to record so that's not in the background. <laughs> hey, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about the bills that might have been. The bills that were recently scrapped when the legislature chose to adjourn and end its session. We'll break down what some of the more prominent bills could have done, who advocated for or against them, and the likelihood of seeing them again in future sessions. Talking with us today is Maria Paletta, who covers the governor's office, and Andrew Oxford, who reports on the legislature. Later in the show, we'll talk with Lily Altavena, our education reporter. Let's start, though, with Maria and Andrew. Um, Why is the legislature adjourning right now, and how did that decision unfold? The legislature has been on a sort of break since March 23rd. It feels like ages ago, but it was at that point the coronavirus was forcing a lot of people to rethink their daily lives and how they do business. The legislature was no exception. Legislative leaders began planning to adjourn temporarily as a health precaution. So both chambers passed a basic budget to keep government functioning into the new fiscal year that starts in July, and they adjourned with very tentative plans to return April 13th. Mr. Speaker Pro Tem, I rise for announcement and motion to adjourn. Please. Uh, Mr. Speaker Pro Tem, um, we are going to be making a motion here to adjourn soon. Then Governor Ducey issued the stay-at-home order. Moments ago, I signed an executive order directing Arizonans to stay home, stay healthy, and stay connected. Cases of the coronavirus began to mount. One legislator even tested positive for the coronavirus, Senator Lupe Contreras. An Arizona lawmaker and his family. State Senator Lupe Contreras announced that he, his wife, and four other families... As the governor's stay-at-home order neared its initial expiration at the end of April, legislative leaders announced a plan to simply wrap up the session. They wanted to come back May 1, go onto the floor for a few minutes, and adjourn sign die leaving open the option of coming back over the summer for a special session if needed. It will have uh, flexibility in it so that if we need to come back uh, beforehand, um, we can do that. They cited a few reasons for all of this. For one thing, it's not clear how big of a financial hit the state government will take from this pandemic. Analysts said at the beginning of April, the state may face a shortfall of more than $1 billion, give or take $500 million. That's a big range, so it's not clear what money they have to work with at this point. The other issue is logistical. How would they hold hearings when people are supposed to be socially distancing? Uh, Members, the motion before you is uh, recess to the sound of the gavel. Those in favor, vote aye. Opposed, vote nay. Appears the ayes have it, do have it. So ordered, the House is recessed to the sound of the gavel. So there was some back and forth on this decision. Uh, At first, it seemed like a sure thing. And then there were reports saying, wait a minute, you know, hold up. What was the discrepancy there? 
The Senate president, House speaker, and Democratic leaders were on board, but there was immediately pushback from Republican legislators and from lobbyists who are still holding out hope they can pass the bills they've been working on this year. The opposition to adjourning falls into a few different camps. There are lawmakers who argue the legislature should pick up the session where they left off. There are several lawmakers, after all, who haven't really viewed the coronavirus as a problem or who think the concerns about it are overblown. There are lawmakers who argue the legislature should at least return and take up what they deem non-controversial bills. It may be impossible to pin down what exactly that means, though. And there are lawmakers who say the legislature should return and take up bills to adjust government for the new reality of life in a pandemic. Things like moving deadlines for implementing new policies, kinds of nuts and bolts government stuff. So is there anything that the legislature is doing right now to help Arizonans economically during the pandemic? Before they adjourned in March, the legislature approved $50 million in relief. The governor has dedicated some of this money to food banks and shelters serving people experiencing homelessness. The governor has used $3.6 million from that fund to keep open the Santa Cruz Regional Hospital, which is a rural hospital that, like so many, has been financially strained by the restrictions on elective surgeries. He dedicated some of that money to Goodwill, too, which you know, helps people find work. Uh, so that number, that, that money is going to a number of different places. Okay. Uh, so with the legislature adjourning, uh, a lot of things that people were hoping would make it to Governor Ducey's desk aren't going to get there. Uh, Maria, can you give us a sense of what some of the more prominent bills uh, that no longer have a future look like? Sure. And I should note that there are tons of them, so we won't be able to get to all of them. But Andrew and I can sort of weigh in and highlight some of the top ones. One that has been an ongoing conversation is short-term vacation rentals. Two bills, both in response to the fallout from a 2016 law, which let homeowners cash in on the vacation rental business. A few different lawmakers this session had put forth bills to address some of the ongoing woes we've seen with those throughout the state since a 2016 law that basically removed local government's ability to regulate them. SB 1350 has created an unregulated Wild West with no sheriff in town and stripped the residents of any means to protect themselves. That law has since resulted in basically a flood of short-term rentals that in some cases have pretty much eliminated affordable housing options in smaller communities like Sedona. The short-term rental bill that made it furthest uh, getting approved by the full Senate in March was was from Republican Senator Kate Brophy McGee. Senate Bill 1554 would have restored some of the rights of cities and counties to impose, quote, quote, reasonable limits on short-term rentals. So some examples there could be the overall number of rentals in a community or the number of people that could stay at a home or apartment together at a given time. The other bill that had been approved by the Senate that went sort of hand in hand with Brophy McGee's was SB 1490, which came from Republican J.D. Mesnard. That would have classified homes and apartments rented out for more than 120 days a year as commercial. Mr. Chair and members, Senate Bill 1490 classifies residential pro property that is solely leased or rented to lodgers for periods of 30 days or more as Class 4 property and residential property that is solely leased or rented. And that's a big deal and a big difference because residential properties are taxed at about half the rate of commercial properties. So Republicans 
every year have dozens and dozens of efforts to either, you know, cut the red tape uh, to allow businesses to, to operate more freely outside of government regulation. And there's always efforts to roll back taxes or give tax breaks to uh, corporations or individuals. What happens with, uh, with those proposals? There was one involving veterans, for example, that the governor proposed. Where did those go? That's right. Senator J.D. Mesnard came into the session talking about a multifaceted set of tax cuts. Mr. Chair and members, Senate Bill 1489 applies to all taxable years beginning January 1, 2021. That would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The governor also talked about uh, tax exemptions. These were kind of moving targets throughout the session. The bill directs the Joint Legislative Budget Committee to compute an individual income tax rate reduction each year based on ongoing general fund revenue growth for fiscal years beginning July 1. Uh, But the prospect for any of them has really dimmed significantly with some of the financial strain the state is facing now. The legislature doesn't know how much money it has to work with and what kind of shortfall it's facing. And I think that that's made a lot of legislative leaders really cautious about ambitious tax cuts or even, you know, maybe minor tax cuts at this point. Uh, With calls to cut taxes, there was also a call to raise the gas tax, too. Mr. Chair and members, House Bill 2899 establishes an additional tax rate based in over three years on gasoline and light class use fuel of 36 So I think a lot of you know, tax-related policy is kind of in limbo right now. Rep. Noel Campbell had argued that there should be an 18-cent increase in the gas tax and that that would pay for you know, desperately needed road repairs. This even got some traction in committee. And you could argue that this is the perfect time to raise the price of gas because the price of gas is tanked anyways. But you know, obviously, this is probably dead for now just because it never really got far along enough in the process before the legislature adjourned. Okay, so shifting gears from money for roads to road kill. <laughs> Speaking of things that got run over. Uh, Andrew, what can you tell us about one of the more interesting bills of this legislative session that, uh, that appears to have expired as well? Uh, that's right. Representative Gail Griffin had a bill that would allow people to collect dead turkeys, deer, elk, other animals killed on the road, roadkill, if you will. And, and some states have similar policies in place, similar programs. Uh, so the existing statute is a little bit restrictive. Uh, it only allows for salvage permits to be issued to the driver of a vehicle that strikes a big game animal. Uh, essentially, as described, this uh, amendment would expand that somewhat. It would certainly save some folks money on Thanksgiving dinner, but this bill itself has gotten run over by the plan to adjourn. Criminal justice issues emerged uh, this session, surprisingly, as as a priority for Republicans and Democrats. Where do those go? Right. And we actually saw last session some criminal justice reform efforts picking up bipartisan support. One thing that's been discussed for a few years now is this idea of earned release credits for prisoners. And Representative Walt Blackman, who's a Republican from Snowflake, has proposed a couple different iterations of this. And he finally got an earned release credit bill through the House this year. HB 2808 would have made prisoners 
not convicted of violent or aggravated felonies, so basically nonviolent offenders, eligible for reduced sentences if they participated in some of the rehabilitative programs in prison. Under this bill, an earned release credit will apply one and, a, one and one half days for every six days if the following apply. The prisoner is not serving a sentence for a violent or aggravated felony. The prisoner has successfully completed a drug treatment or other major self-improvement program provided by the department during the prisoner's term of imprisonment, or the prisoner has actively participated in an intergovernmental agreement or an Arizona Correctional Industries work program approved by the department for at least six months during the prisoner's term of imprisonment. This is another big deal, or would have been, because Arizona currently has some of the strictest sentencing laws in the country, and that's, you know, even compared to some other red states that are tough on crime. And while we do have some of the strictest sentencing laws, officials both in the legislature as well as Governor Doug Ducey always emphasize Arizona being sort of a leader in providing for its public safety officials. But something that has been an issue the last few years is firefighters struggling to get workers' compensation benefits after they get cancer related to their professional duties, their firefighting duties, and what they've done on the job. Uh, I'm a fire captain. I have been... Uh in the fire service for over 27 years. I work in Mesa, as you mentioned, Madam Chair. And uh, I've been exposed to a lot of chemicals over the year. I've been in a lot of fires. And, you know, coincidence, irony, whatever you want to call it, I've been working on these bills, and here I am now. I have cancer. I have the number one cancer firefighters yet. So in February, the Senate had passed SB 1160, which would have modified state law to say that if a firefighter gets one of the cancers the state presumes to be caused by firefighting, the worker doesn't have to prove that he or she got the disease on the job to receive those benefits. It would just be assumed and therefore provide an easier path for those firefighters. And unfortunately, we've had people have to literally fight for their lives while also fighting insurance companies and their employers. Uh, while they should have been just taking care of themselves and their families. On the election front, Republicans were proposing all kinds of uh, measures to try to make it more difficult for citizen initiatives to make it on the ballot. There was quite a bit of controversy over these. Sounds like they're just going to flame out. Yeah, Republican legislators were proposing a short stack of ballot measures to make it harder to get initiatives in front of voters. At this point, you know, none of them have made it far enough to actually get on the ballot in November. For example, there was one proposal that would require an initiative campaign to get a certain number of signatures from every county in the state. Another proposal would have required voters to reapprove initiatives they had already passed. Another proposal, unrelated to direct democracy, but very much related to democracy, would have required that legislative districts vary in population by no more than 5,000 people. That would definitely break up District 7, which happens to be the only district where most residents are Native American. Voters would still have had to approve these proposals in November, but at this point, none of them are getting the voters. So, Andrew, it seems almost like a lifetime ago now, but uh, at the beginning of this session, Representative David Cook was in some hot water with an ethics investigation. Tonight, we are now learning Mr. Cook is being accused of trying to stop sheriff's deputies from seizing that lobbyist property all over a tax debt. Our political editor. Tell us about that matter and is 
Does this mean that he is now in the clear because the legislature appears to be done? Well, you can't get expelled if there's no one around to expel you, right? If you remember, the House is investigating complaints about Representative Cook's relationship with an agriculture industry lobbyist and separate allegations that he inappropriately intervened to stop the foreclosure of some of her family's farm property. They deny wrongdoing, but the investigation itself can keep on. It's just unclear what the chamber can really do with any of its findings at this time. Then again, Representative Cook is up for election this year, so it could all still matter at the ballot box. Okay, well, we will certainly look out for your reporting on that in the future, Andrew. So, Lily, I want to get you in here now. The topic of school vouchers or voucher-like programs has really been an ongoing point of tension in Arizona for years now. Do you have a sense of the type of bills that were put forth in that vein this session? Yeah, so the the biggest source of voucher tension this session was a bill that would allow students living on Native American reservations to use money from Arizona's school voucher-like program, the Empowerment Scholarship Accounts Program, at schools up to two miles into neighboring states. So that bill actually did go through, went to the governor's desk, the governor signed it. Republicans said it was a fix essentially for students on the Navajo reservation who wanted to use their ESA at a school called Hilltop Christian in New Mexico. Um, Those families were in Arizona, right on the border of New Mexico and Arizona, um, wanted to use their funds at out, an out-of-state private school. Um, Republicans said it was, you know, a fix for just those students. Democrats said, you know, it's a slippery slope and all of a sudden, you know, students will be able to use their voucher money anywhere. So that was the big voucher bill this session, and that, that did go through. Lily, what other bills stood out in this session uh, for you? Yeah, there were a lot of different um, initiatives coming out of the legislature that, you know, are still sort of waiting to be passed and are in this limbo now. So special education funding, for example, that was a big one. Senator Sylvia Allen uh, was working on a bill that would actually increase the funding for special education services for students with certain disabilities. So that would have increased special education funding by more than 50 million That bill hasn't been passed yet. That was waiting a final vote in the House. Um, There was a bill that would have reformed cases of teacher sexual misconduct and how those cases are handled. So, you know, we found some significant loopholes in state law that allowed some teachers accused of sexual misconduct to stay in the classroom. Um, The state would have closed up some of those loopholes, disciplining teachers that are not certified. Right now, teachers that aren't certified and other school employees, there's no discipline system for them. So they can, you know, remain in the classroom if they're accused of sexual misconduct in some cases. Um, There was a Holocaust instruction requirement that I know several lawmakers were very excited for that is still awaiting approval Right now, Arizona schools are not required to teach students about the Holocaust. My name is Oscar Knoblauch. I'm a Holocaust survivor. I too go to schools and I learned that students in schools in Arizona are hungry for more education on the Holocaust. That's waiting for a final approval in the Senate. Holocaust survivors actually came to the legislature to talk about that bill. 
and my dad was to go to Auschwitz, and I was to stay in the camp. And my dad turned to me and he said, he had a little piece of bread in his pocket. And he turned to me and he said, look, you take it. I don't need it anymore. And I can't live anymore. I lost everything. I lost my family. You take it. And I am here to plead for the passage of the legislation that you are about to consider, which I found very important. And then there's more suicide prevention work, kind of an extension of what we saw last year. So this year, Senator Sean Bowie, who's a Democrat, introduced SB 1446, which would require schools to add suicide prevention resources onto school ID cards. Was there a sign that we didn't see? A cry for help we ignored? A moment where we could have just saved our, ourselves such a loss. While we will never know what led to this, one, one thing is clear. We can prevent this. Not only can we, we must prevent this. That bill was making its way through and it is now stalled. So what was the likelihood of, um, you know, Ducey signing some of these bigger pieces of legislation? And then separately, what sort of budget discussion was was shaping up at the at the state house? I mean, that's as important, if not more important than a lot of these pieces of legislation. Right. And those two things, of course, tie together. Obviously, as you said earlier, the governor was interested in doing at least some tax cuts this legislative session. That is likely not going to happen now. In terms of some of the other bills that we discussed, such as limits on short-term vacation rentals, that was a bit up in the air. The governor had seemed very hesitant, as he typically is, to... um, overturn essentially the 2016 law that he had supported and wade in further into, you know, individual property rights as he and some other Republican elected officials viewed it. In terms of the criminal justice reform element, that was also a bit up in the air. The governor has said that he is slowly becoming more open to some of those reforms, but has been, has been very sort of measured and incremental, um, too incremental, uh, some justice reform advocates would say, in terms of what he's willing to sign. So for the education bills, those all seemed very likely to pass. Ducey, you know, had said sexual misconduct reform was one of his priorities. Uh, Special education had a lot of support across the board. A lot of legislators wanted to add funding for special education. You know, now funding is up in the air. Um, Holocaust instruction, again, a lot of support across the board. Um, And and now it's it's unclear. I think, too, there's going to be some clarity in June about the state's financial outlook. At this point, the numbers for the state level are really lagging, and the governor is probably going to have to call legislators back into a special session at some point over the summer when some of this data is becoming a little clearer. On And sort of working in their favor is the fact that they do have a rainy day fund with nearly a billion dollars in it to work with. So it's not like the state is strapped for cash at the moment, but it's just unclear really uh, kind of what this is going to mean. Does this mean that they, uh, 
you know, simply give up on any big new initiatives or programs people had been planning? Or does it mean that they have to make cuts? And of course, this is a state government that has already reduced the size of its workforce pretty significantly you know, since the recession. Uh, so it, there's a lot up in the air. And I think people are going to be watching closely over the next two months to see kind of what the tax revenue is looking like as we get through these uh, uh, first few numbers. Well, that's it for today. Maria, Andrew, and Lily, thanks so much for joining us. And if listeners would like to follow your coverage, what's your Twitter handle? I'm at mpoletta, M-P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. Yeah, I'm at Andrew B. Oxford. I'm at Lily Alta. And if you'd like to find Yvonne and myself at Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget. While we still have you, please rate and review our show. Audio in this episode was gathered from ABC 15, Channel 3, and the state legislature. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. We'll see you next week.